podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey gang, good news. The Aer Lingus College Football Classic is back in Dublin at the Aviva Stadium this summer. The 24th of August, Florida State, Georgia Tech. I'm going to be there. Propos in the house. We'll get Ben as well. Hey, we might even drag Carlson with us this time. So if you want to be there too, head on over to collegefootballisland.com, collegefootballisland.com, register interest. You'll be the first in the queue for tickets. We'll see you there. Hey gang, happy Super Bowl week. Here we go. How excited are you feeling? I am definitely stoked up for Vegas. I know Propo is as well. God, the, the thought of me and Propo in Vegas, <laughs> the mind boggles. We're going to be out there smashing, grabbing it for the weekend. Actually, I say that Edge Rush, which we're recording on Friday, Propo will be already there. I'm flying out a little bit later on. So I'll be getting there uh, post that show, but we're going to be recording that with Propo in Vegas. Then, of course, we've got the big game live on TalkSport. I'll be anchoring the coach, Jeff Reinbold, in the house, the excellent Will Gavin, 10.30 live on TalkSport. Make sure whatever else you're doing, you're locked and loaded with us. And Propo and I'll be recording a show post-Super Bowl that will drop uh, in your podcatchers of choice, ready for hopefully the morning. Depends how, depends how things break out. Right. Today's show, the legend, Iron Mike, in the house. His keys to Super Bowl 58. All the key things that you need to know about the big game coming your way right now. It's 60 minutes of Carlson Gold. Let's roll. Iron Mike, you know what we've got on the show more than anything else? Super Bowl. The classy, the classy banner. I like, like it. Too. Okay, we've got a classy <laughs> banner as well. I appreciate that. The nod to the NC Show banner. No. What we've got, Super Bowl week, recording this Monday, the big mo, Iron Mike, the Super Bowl <laughs> momentum. Yeah, all the way Absolutely. to the baby. All the Absolutely. Way to- and we're balling. We're balling on this show. You're always balling. You're always balling. Football analysis. Yes. Welcome back to uh, to Blighty Iron Mike. Uh, you've been obviously uh, keeping your hands busy over the last uh, 10 days or so, but back in town and at the perfect moment because we are very much looking forward to getting your Keys, Iron Mike's keys, plural, <laughs> gang, to Super Bowl 58. I thought I liked the fact keys to the game. We're going a little bit old school there. We're going a little bit Channel 5 days, Iron Mike. With the yeah, keys. Or even worse, you know, kind of, it would be Carlson's keys with two Ks. You know? <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, inside the game. That's what you got. Carlson's inside the game. I remember that. I remember. You know what I mean? We always used to deep dive on that. So we're going to get into all of those. I'm really looking forward to breaking down the game in detail with you. We did uh, inside the huddle. Oh, inside, inside the, huddle. the huddle. Yeah, and then Sky took that. Ah, okay. Um, one, uh, one, one, one night they they broke in the studio and stole it. <laughs> Just yanked it, left you behind. <laughs> took everything else. Uh, what about they took cardboard cutout, Mike? Maybe that's why cardboard cutout. Mike no, nobody's ever story. been able to copy cardboard cutout, Mike, and and that's still one of the great one of the great disappointments of my life is that I don't have that thing. <laughs> we'll find it on eBay. I reckon Gibbo, our former producer, is probably going to flog it on eBay uh, to the highest bidder. Uh, right. We're going to get into all of that in a bit, but I thought we kick off today's show because there's been a whole lot of news, the coaching carousel and the coordinator satellites and all that jazz, a lot flying around. And there are four or five big, big moves that uh, I want to get into breakdown and get your perspective on. Why don't we start with, one of your faves, Vic Fangio, 
the great Vic Fangio, of course, uh, uh, thrilled when I remember it wasn't that long ago when we were talking about him coming to Miami and what a great move that was and how happy I was. And uh, that's that's all she wrote as far as Miami is concerned. Mutual consent is the official line. That's never <laughs> it says uh, a lot. Yeah, doesn't it? <laughs> but I mean, talk about the holes in a, an otherwise impressive Philly organization. Defensive coordinator, obviously, or the defense collectively and the coordinator. Big problem. Fangio stepping in there. What a masterstroke once again by Philly. Well, it's what they wanted, I assume, last year, you know, because they brought when they brought him in for the Super Bowl. Um, to you know, to come up with ways of of stopping Kansas City's offense. How mm. did that work out? Well, um, <laughs> on that particular occasion, not, not great. Not to be oh, cruel. Now you're turning yeah. on Vic now. All of a sudden, yeah. I, I think no. I think Vic's a very a very good defensive coordinator, a very smart one, and he's a very demanding one. And I heard a lot of the talk about the, this kind of disagreement was one of culture. You know, yeah. Mike, Mike McDaniel's culture and, and Fangio's culture. And obviously Miami is a place where a coach has to control the players a bit more than other places. You know, there, there are certain, there are certain dangers. You know, yeah. Yeah. New Orleans, yeah. Miami, uh, probably the Ra the Raiders. Yeah. yeah. And um, so I think there was some of that. I also don't think that necessarily, and it might've been intensified by the 70 to 20 win, but, that mm. you also want your offense and defense to be complementary, you know, it, in the in the sense that they're that they're kind of playing for the for the same a for the mm -hmm. same aim. Um, therefore, you you know, if if your offense has a lead, you want to be using up time so your defense isn't on the field all the time. That kind of stuff. I'm not sure they ever worked that out, but certainly there didn't appear to be any um, any regret. From either McDaniel or what do you or mean Daniel. on that? Just the last point. I'm intrigued. What what do you mean in terms of the well pulling in the same in direction? My mind, right? In my mind, the defense was carrying the Dolphins the last half or so of the season. Right. And both sides of the ball were riddled with injuries, you know, yeah. in fairness to the team. They um, but you know, Vic lost his best pass rusher, they lost, you know, good defensive linemen. They lost uh, um, Ramsey at one point. Yeah. You know, uh, so there, there were problems on both sides of the ball. But it seemed to me that in the second half of the year, you just had to sort of accept that the offense, especially given the offensive line, was not going to be a 70-point-per-game offense. Mm. Far from it. Therefore, you want to play a bit of ball control, you know, and to, to give your defense a chance to, you know, to keep the other team in get a check. Yeah, yeah. And, and and we'll get to this in the Super Bowl because that is exactly the adjustment that the Chiefs have made mm. since since Christmas, I would say, probably since they lost to the Raiders on Christmas Day. Um, and I'm patient, not sure. Patient ball control. And yeah, I'm, I'm not sure that they ever, you know, sat down together, head coach and defensive coordinator and said, you know, this is what we've got to do. You know, yeah. we, we're going to have to scale things down and try, try to play more possession possession game you can get us try to get us the ball in good you know locations and stuff like that you know it it's it's a it's a culture philosophical kind of thing mm. but it's also you know when you have a head coach because you can hire a tactician or you can hire a um you can hire a leader uh and i i what i, I call them peerless leaders and something tacticians which i borrowed from tom boswell the baseball writer um but 
when you're when you're the head coach and you're a leader, what you do is you sit down with your coordinators and say, this is the kind of football we're going to play. And I want to play ball control. Or I want, and everybody always says, oh, we're going to be tough. You know, we want to play tough, hard-nosed football. And that doesn't mean anything because everybody mm-hmm. just says it, you know. But this is how I want to do it. Um, you know, I want a defense that's not going to that's going to control the other team's offense. I don't want a defense that's going to take gambles and you know, and then the, the coordinators try to put that together. I think you get a great example of it in Detroit. Yeah. You know, where, where you seem to see offense and defense trying to work together toward playing well, the kind I'm, of, I'm glad you mentioned Detroit. Um, so just, just quickly as a sign, Anthony Weaver, who was a part of the Ravens defensive coaching staff this season, the D line coach specifically and an assistant coach, uh, Monica to boot. He moves to Miami to step in as as the DC. Yeah, there. and that that was interesting too because they they promoted Zach Orr, the linebackers coach, to mm. become defensive coordinator, which is what McDonald had been, you know, what before he went to Michigan, then came back, and um, they fired Wink. And I wondered at the time whether they would promote Anthony Weaver to coordinator or whether because he was assistant head coach, D line coach that would be a better position for him if what he wants to do is be a head coach. And he has had yeah. head coaching interviews. Yeah. Um, but I think, I think the chance to be a coordinator on what will be a, I think a successful team um, yeah. was probably too good for him to pass up. Yeah. Uh, so I'm excited to see what he brings to Miami. We'll get into all of these moves. Cause there are others, of course, that we covered some on last week's show in the postseason. We'll do a deep dive and, and spend a lot sure. of time on that. One, one more, just one more thing. Baltimore is a great example of mm. culture and it's not just John Harbaugh. It's the Ravens culture, mm. which, which organizationally. Um, yeah. Yeah. The whole, the whole organization, which it derives from the Bill Belichick, you know, um, the Bill Belichick way, the pa- the Patriot way, but but I'd argue that Ozzie Newsom was probably even more successful in terms of co- not well. You can't argue he's more successful because he doesn't have six Super Bowls. <laughs> but that Ravens culture yeah. of drafting guys for their traits and developing them into players and picking up guys off the streets, they do very very well. Clear vision, a clear vision. Did a sure. great job this year. Yeah, well, McDonald, of course, to Seattle. You mentioned Ben Johnson just in passing. Johnson surprisingly staying in Detroit. Yeah. He was a hot, hot ticket. And uh, that surprised a lot of people, I think. And that's great news for the Lions, obviously. And, and respect to him as well. I, I like the fact that he's staying the course there. And and maybe that wasn't the right opportunity he felt. Maybe because we had this I, in the past. I, with I think there was, in, yeah, in I think there was where, a lot of that going on. You know, probably a, he might have had a little reduc- reluctance to take over certain jobs and mm. the team then might have had a little reluctance in hiring him, sensing that, or, or maybe just not fitting what they wanted to do. And so, mm. you know, he did it last year and everybody figured this year he would get a head coaching job for sure. So, yeah. you know, and I would rather have him than some of the guys who were, who mm. were hired. He got the gig. Yeah. But I like yeah. it, you know, the whole that and the McDaniels, maybe not a great example given how, his head coaching career has gone, but you take my point for a long time as a, as a darling coordinator that everybody wanted to to bring into their organization or near enough everybody. He just held firm and didn't didn't take uh, didn't take every gig that was thrown at him. Uh, Mike McDonald has gone to Seattle uh, as head coach, and he'll call call the plays too. They announced, which is interesting defensively. Um, are you surprised at that, Mike? That after Carroll, such a um, you know a, a defensive heavyweight. Um, that they didn't go in an opposite or a different direction and look for a young gun offensive mind. It's it's interesting. And it says to me that Pete Carroll's going to be locked in his office and he's not <laughs> going to be out there on the field, you know, because mm. um, I think McDonald 
they were probably very well, they had to be very impressed with what they saw from the Baltimore defense this year. And like I said, they developed players, they picked up players uh, off the street, you know, um, to fill gaps when they had injuries and stuff. Darby, Ronald Darby, uh, they traded from Wallet from Pittsburgh, who didn't want him anymore. Um, they, um, Kyle Van Noy was signed off the street. Clowney yep. was signed off the street. And I remember somebody said they each had nine sacks this year. That's 18 yep. sacks. Nobody on Seattle had nine sacks. You know, so it indicates, it indicates it, uh, attack that kind of ability. And I think probably the leadership as well. Um, and I, I think, I think they, Mike Kafka, the Giants refused to let Mike Kafka interview with them or to let, you know, to let him go. And I think, I, I no, I don't know if this has happened, but I saw a thing of Ryan, um, Ryan Grubbs, who was the offensive coordinator at Washington university. Mm. He went to Alabama with um, DeBoer who was hired to replace Nick Saban. Mm. But they were thinking he might want to come back to Washington to be the offensive coordinator in Seattle, which would that would be interesting as well. And then there's also a fight over whether Jay Harbaugh was going to go to Seattle mm. with McDonald because they coached together at Michigan or whether he would go with it with his dad to San Diego. <laughs> so, and dad, dad Nepo, it's, there's nothing better than being a Nepo. A Nepo uh, a <laughs> we a wouldn't Nepo change code. it for a. Uh... Uh, for anything I'd like, I'm sure there must be some kind of Kafka trial gag there and uh, <laughs> that we'll think of at some point during the show. Um, last but not least, Dan Quinn to Washington. Mr. Quinn to Washington, former former Seattle uh, man, of course, to Washington. Had a run um, with reasonable success, of course, ultim not ultimate success, but reasonable success as a head coach before. And he's been a very much uh, an in-demand name once again. How does this situation feel, I guess, with um, with the, the Washington organization and Quinn? Again, is that a surprise? Kingsbury's the hot ticket, they seem. And at the time of recording, so I don't know if it's been confirmed. Yet, yeah, that's a very funny story because Kingsbury was going to the Raiders. Right. I mean, it was it was supposedly a done deal. And then he, he or his agent backed out kind of at the last at the last minute. And, and the, money yeah, was so the they, cause they suggested that that's what. That yeah. Did. So they, they assume they assume they assume that. Um, the reason for that was uh, was that he's going to take the Washington job. Yeah, it's an um, interesting. It's an interesting call to me. I mean, you know, Quinn had some success in in Atlanta. They yeah. went to a Super Bowl sure. um, with um, Kyle Shanahan as the offensive yeah. coordinator, who King, Cliff Kingsbury twenty eight to three lead mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> into a loss. But that's yeah. you know that's neither here nor there. To me. Um, I think Wash Adam Peters, you know, they they hired the GM first, and Adam Peters presumably made the decision with the management to to hire Quinn, and he probably impressed them a lot, which he could do. He could set it. He could set a culture there. The the critics might say that in getting Dan Quinn, you're getting just a slightly younger, more energetic version of Ron Rivera. Yeah, right. Um, you know, um, and I don't. I don't know how that will play out. I don't think Eric Bieniemy was ever considered seriously for the job. People are making a big deal about that. But you remember that kerfuffle just before the season started about the players complaining about, um, you know, the practicing and, you know, mm. Bieniemy and, and Rivera had different ideas on practicing. I think that probably um, uh, took care of that, that idea. Uh, Bieniemy is a fascinating one. You think about his, his status and trajectory over the last what five seven years from and still not not the 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 head honcho gig and the, the more it goes on the more of these cycles these rounds go on and he doesn't get 
the nod, the more or the less likely it is that he will down the line, I guess. Yeah, um, because he's at that that age now where, you know, there's always some young hot coordinator coming up, coming up behind you. And Mm -hmm. and you haven't really had your chance to prove that you can establish a culture the way someone who is a head coach, you know, probably can. so it'd be interesting because my, you know, Matt Nagy came back to Kansas City when he when he um, bombed out in Chicago. Yeah, and, um, I'm not sure he's been totally successful in Kansas City, but um, you know, there probably would be a space there if he wanted to go back. I don't know, and it's too bad because there's a big opening in that da- a black hole in Dallas where a defensive coordinator used mm. to be. <laughs> well, they presented Jerry's just take up. Teeing up Belichick for next Jerry, year. Jerry is teeing up something. You know, He's teeing up Belichick, surely. Belichick, by the way, only formally interviewed for one job, the Atlanta job. Yeah. And then what, you know, and that was, I, I, I mentioned that. I either mentioned or wrote about it. You know, he, he went off on the boat with Arthur Blank. And then they sat down with Rich McKay. And McKay and Belichick, is to my mind have never really gotten along pretty well, very well because McKay's always been the head of the competition committee whose main job is to every time Bill Belichick outsmarts the other coaches is to make it impossible for him to do that again. Right. So he probably resented that a bit, but, but if you're Rich McKay and you're the team, you know, you realize Belichick wants complete control yeah, and that makes you basically redundant in terms yeah, yeah, of, yeah, you know, sure. in terms of this. So, so I, that didn't surprise me. And I think Raheem Morris is, you know, is probably a good choice for them. And Raheem went, you know, with the Rams. Zach Robinson's going to be the offensive coordinator. And um, uh, Jimmy Lake, who was at Tampa when Raheem was coaching there the first time. Mm. And now it was the, was also um, head coach at University of Washington before DeBoer. Um, and uh, so he's going to be the defensive coordinator. But, you know, one interesting thing, too, is all these guys who um, – come out of the Shanahan, but now the Sean McVay thing, mm. you know, you're taking all these coordinators and quarterback coaches who have never called the plays. Never <laughs> called the Sean plays and now in these positions and it's just growing exponentially. <laughs> so I figure, but my maths by 2028, everyone will be connected to, <laughs> to those three or four. Uh, it's like anybody. Yeah. All you have to do is kind of walk by Sean McVay in an elevator and, and say get. like, yeah, what do you, what do you think of the old Notre Dame box? And then, Oh, I <laughs> hear this young, coach. Coor- this young <laughs> yeah. coordinator was talking to Sean McVay about the Notre Dame box formation. And yeah. He's the hot ticket. Okie smokey. Let's get down to business. Iron Mike's keys to the game. The keys to Super Bowl 58. We had, this is textbook Mike gang. We'd agreed for, uh, obviously, a fifth come <laughs> fifth comes in from Iron Mike uh, midway through the day, but I love it. I was going to ask you. About, I thought I gonna... we agreed five, and I I oh, was short. God. I God. thought I was shorting you out by only doing four. Ah, fair, fair point. You're all about the giving. You're all about the kindness. Like, I'm going to spin off to it uh, <laughs> as usual on eight thousand tangents. Anyway, so who's counting? Quite frankly, let's start uh, number one. And these are in no particular order. We're not power ranking them. We're just chucking them out as they come. Uh, Kansas City dominant up front. Iron Mike the. Kansas City defense, of course, has been lights out this season, particularly in the playoffs. So let's start there. What is the game plan to neutralize and keep this Kansas City front in check, do you think? Yeah, it's an interesting one because Kansas City, as I said earlier, has basically changed their entire philosophy. They've in since that game in, at Christmas, they've basically run almost as many times as they've passed 
Yep. Mahomes has taken very few deep shots down the field. He hasn't turned the ball over as a, as a result. Um, and they were willing in the, in the championship game. Um, what did I, Pacheco averaged 2.8 per carry, but they still ran him 23, 24 times, whatever yep. it was, um, to control the clock. And the question will be, um, the question will be for San Francisco, how do you handle that offense? Mm. You know, you would think they were playing into San Francisco's hands because San Francisco's fairly strong in the middle, you know, and they've got two good linebackers um, most of the time. <clears throat> but how are you going to control Mahomes? They only had two sacks in their two playoff games, and both of them came from Nick Bosa. Um, and, you know, we've seen – when the 49ers lose a Super Bowl, it's because Mahomes is under lots of pressure um, and has has to get away from it. But I think up front, the more pressing question is the other is the flip flop of that. The Kansas City has another strong interior front, and the 49ers were beaten up in the two playoff games yep. up front. Yeah, you know they 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 fell behind in, in both games. Um, and they have to figure out a way to control that front better than they have been doing so that their offense can function. And I can see Spags coming up with a game plan which involves run blitzing as opposed to, to blitzing Purdy. You know, but yeah, sure. Bringing, you saw what he did in, in the playoffs. He brought people from unusual angles, yep. you know, people you don't expect to be rushing. He wasn't depending on his edge guys to do the bulk of the, the rush work. Um, and Chris Jones, of course, is a monster in the middle. Uh, well, if you think about what they let's look at what they did, the game plan against the, the Ravens, which obviously we spoke a bit about on the pod. And just look, looking back at that game, watching the game film back again, breaking it down, 81 yards was was all they mustered on the ground, Baltimore, which was the number one rushing offense going into that game. And Lamar, they contained as well. So it was the dual effect of shutting down the the, the running backs, but keeping Lamar in check as well. And if you break that down into even greater sample size of the playoffs, Mike, so the Finns, the Bills, and the Ravens, right. 41 points in total. And they were the number three top six offenses, basically, one, six, and four, respectively. And up against Allen, who was red-hot form, led the league in total touchdowns. Lamar, of course, is going to be MVP. So this... When we talk about this offense balling, but this off this defense balling rather, and the defense in in red hot form, it has been all season long, but it's got even better in the playoffs. Yeah, and you know, I, I looking at the Ravens, I think that the Ravens fell. They thought that they were that Kansas City was playing in run stat defenses, and therefore passed again. The Ravens didn't run the ball. Yeah, you know, the you say oh, you say they they stopped the Ravens running. They didn't well, try to in the first, first half. Yeah, first, right. first play of the game was a ten yard run by uh, by Goss, and the next yeah. play was a nine yard run by Hill. Yeah, and then I They're think they each had enough. three carries on the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it wasn't like you know, it wasn't like they were way behind and they had to, they had to pass, pass, pass. I I couldn't for the life of me understand that. You know, mm -hmm. um, so. But I think that's what they were looking at. They thought passing was going to be the way to beat them. And mm. and the hidden strength of the um, Chiefs' defense is the fact that their secondary is really good. Mm. And they play very aggressive coverage. And if, if the referees are going to give them the holding, um, 
you know, the body contact, which they do most of the time. Uh, McDuffie is, you know, is a tremendous guy. Sneed is is really good. Mm. Ward is really good, but he's not playing, I don't think. Um, but, you know, they're, they're loaded in the secondary with guys who can man cover, which gives Spags an awful lot of freedom uh, yeah. to do to do the rest of the stuff up front. But it makes this such an intriguing matchup because this is a 49ers offense that, um, uh, well, the great Dick Vermeil uh, described it brilliantly. There's no one on nowhere on the field that they don't attack is how, how he described it. This 49ers offense and and a lot of people have drew, drawn the parallels with McCaffrey and Marshall Falk and Falk was McCaffrey's boyhood hero and um, and there are obvious similarities with the way that they play and the way that they're used by their respective offenses. But that's fascinating. You're right. There's strength across all this Chiefs D and yet the, the 49ers offense is geared up to look for mismatches and look for pressure points all across the field. It's fascinating, Mike. Break, break down how you think the the 49ers will tr- well where they'll get the most traction in terms of getting the offense going that's, that's the good question and i mean it's not like they're going to install a lot of new stuff you know um the one the one thing i would look at and it had they haven't done it i've said this a couple of times in the la- toward the end of the season and and in the playoffs is McCaffrey lining up more at wide receiver um they got good looks when they had Uchik out there. Yeah. Uh, in in the last game, I think that's that's one of the mix-up things we haven't seen Debo in the backfield, but I think that was because they were still they're still favoring his injury, and and presumably in the Super Bowl that will you know that will stop. But but they work really well when Debo's in the backfield too, um, mm-hmm. and and running the and running the ball. So that I think is one thing that they will do that they haven't done in the last in the last few weeks, and I think. Um, Debo actually is probably the key to this because he's the toughest guy to man cover. Um, Kittle is probably the second one because they're probably going to use a safety on Kittle. I would have thought um, if if they zone up, that would be a big change for them. So, uh, but so a lot of teams will play zone because they want to crowd the middle of the field. They want they want to block the the crossing routes, kind of like the way most teams play Kansas City, to be honest. You know, it's a very similar uh, construction. The one big advantage I think that the Niners have is that Kansas City are looking at two, maybe three playmakers. I mean, that you account, the defenses account for. Right. You know, Kelsey, Rice, and and, uh, Pacheco. Uh, And you have to give, you have to keep an eye on Mahomes because he'll, he always will scramble once or twice when you're least expecting it. Mm. Whereas San Francisco, you have to account for Kittle, Debo, McCaffrey, and Ayuk. Yeah. Um, and now Purdy's running that, as well. Now Purdy's yeah. showing he could run. And that's that's four, you know, yeah. as opposed to three. And and four is a lot if you're going to try to account for, you know, mm. and not just say, okay, you got a man for man. You know, you might get away with it for some of the time. And mm. and I think that's kind of like the advantage that the Niners will have. But mm. otherwise, when you look at it, the the other the other advantage they may have is that Kansas City's tackles are crap. Mm. Not as bad as the ones when they when they played Tampa in the Oof, Super Bowl. Yeah. Because those but those guys were backups. These are their starting tackles. But the line's um, banged up anyway. Obviously Tooney's injured as well. So yeah. Yeah Tooney is- may may be back. And and the inside's not their weak point. Allegretti didn't play that badly um in the um in the conference game, mm. but 
you know, but you saw what they were doing. It made make life easier for the linemen with run blocking. Mm. You know, don't make don't make Allegretti be a be a pass blocker all the time. Run. And even though they weren't getting lots of yards, they were move, moving down the field. Let's get to that then. So the next key, the, the Kansas City ground game, then if they are going to concentrate on, on run blocking and try and establish the ground game, which you expect they will. Um, Pacheco is obviously going to be front and center. Edward Teller has a cameo to play at times, but it's all been all about Pacheco. This stat um, I thought was uh, interesting and I guess emphasizes just how uh, effective a player he is and particularly in this offense, 60% of his carries, this is via ESPN stats and info, 60% of his carries, this season, including the postseason, have ended up with him going over the expected yardage. 60 percent. He's just—I uh, mean—such a dynamic player, and he's such a great player to watch as well as the young Mike. Oh yeah, just the energy. He's <laughs> yeah. just a very likable player. You can see him building, you know, like a cartoon character almost, building up the the energy as you know, <laughs> yeah, it's, right. as and people say he runs angry, but he doesn't actually seem to run angry. Seem he really seems Hard. to be like just push straight direction. I don't know how they figure out that yards expected because it's one thing if the guy, you know, if you got two yards and then the guy standing in front of you is Chris Jones and another if you get two yards and the guy standing in front of you is some skinny (laughs) safety. But anyway, um, yeah, yeah, I I agree with, with that completely. And the thing that gets me with the Chiefs is they came out in the playoffs and took leads with what is famously Andy Reid's scripted play series, Mm -hmm. but they did them on long drives. They were committed Mm -hmm. to running the ball and using up the time, and they weren't afraid to go to third down and then Mm -hmm. convert to third downs with with Mahomes. They were happy to be in like third and short, and then they could, you know, they didn't have to run the ball, but um, and they could throw the ball. And Mm -hmm. that, that contrasts with San Francisco, who won both playoff games coming from behind, which is what everybody said they couldn't do. Sure. You know, Shanahan, it was his first ever, like down whenever he was down 17 or whatever he was down in a game. And then in the, in the previous game in the fourth quarter, he was down by more than eight or whatever it was, you know, only the second time. So mm-hmm. that was, that was a real change of plan. And I, and I, you know, previously I was thinking the team that takes the lead is going to win this game. You know, mm. it's, it's going to be, and but San Francisco won two in a row coming from behind and, and the chiefs were, were absolutely committed to taking a lead and putting pressure on the, on the, uh, uh, the, uh, the opponent, the opponent's offense by cutting their time as well, by using a lot of time to take, so, yeah. you know, if, if we can score on our first two possessions and now, you know, you only got four, you know, four left in the second half or whatever, because we're going to control the ball. It, mm. it puts it does put a lot of pressure on you. It is. It's, a, it's, yeah. it's a really interesting it's, evolution it's, for this. Yeah. For it's this. something. Yeah. It's something we've never seen, I think, from Andy Reid. From Andy Reid. Right. Yeah. To be honest. yeah. But it kind of makes sense in a way because he is always looking at reinvention and always that's what you hear about Reid, right? It's picking up the high school plays from a 1971 game and throwing those in the playbooks. Yeah, so it kind and, of makes some sort of sense that. And, and this is important, well. I think, because this game, I wrote a piece a couple of months ago in Gridiron magazine about the chief's dynasty are the chiefs of dynasty. And I, I went through various dynasties and what, what constitutes it and what doesn't. I don't need and to said, know about the article. Just tell me yes or no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the answer. And, yes. What yes, my conclusion was, they need to win another Super Bowl to okay. be nice, okay. you know, like this year or next year. I mean, you know, in in that uh, window, and you know, and and I think 
they're in position to do that and be, be called a dynasty. And, yeah. and you don't hear anybody saying, well, Andy Reid can't win without Patrick Bowles. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. Um, on the uh, on the Pacheco impact and the ground game collectively, I guess, clearly this is the, the weak area for the 49ers. Again, we saw it a lot against Detroit. They, they really exploited that. Um, they've given up 5.6 a carry in the playoffs, 15th this season in defensive run defense DVOA. So in a very good, arguably great defense, it's the it's the weak link, isn't it? Yeah, and and so when you when you're playing when you when you're playing better teams with with better, you know, and again, Detroit, for example, has a pretty good running running game and a very good offensive line. They were, like I said, being pushed around a bit by the by the and and they commit to a four-man line. They you know they rarely mix out of that because they're already in nickel most of the time with two linebackers and, and five DBs, but they don't have the depth they had in terms of keeping those guys fresh. So it's Hargreave and Armistead are two of the very best, but when they're out, it drops down quite a bit. And the opposite Bosa, they haven't got the production they really wanted from the guys they picked up Chase Young, for example, you know, and, and he hasn't really delivered the way you know the way they hoped that he would. Um, so that that to me is a real worry, a real worry for them. I think Kansas City will try to, you know, to te- to test them that way. And of course, you know, if I can think of it, then they can think of it. And <laughs> you assume <laughs> that Andy will say, well, you know, they think we're going to run the ball. Yeah. And so let's play. Let's play action. a couple. Yeah, of right. All the, all the triple bluff. <laughs> yeah, take that. Take that shot that I really want to take. <laughs> yeah. And then about this, Kadarius, this, is how, this is how Kadarius Tony is going to be Super Bowl MVP, Mike. I love it. That's genius. You When you were talking about Chase Young as well, I guarantee he, he was 75,000 to one. I think I'm backing point. him. I'm backing him. The gang at home are backing him. The um, I, I've been calling it for about ten weeks now. It's gonna happen. I know it's gonna happen. Uh, the Chase Young is a great shout as well because that's exactly that's another Super Bowl lock. Lock it in. He's gonna have a big game, and the comms will be. That's why they brought him here. That's that's why they spent the big. <laughs> though he's been playing lights out the entire run. Um, okay, we're gonna take a quick break. Uh, get a few words from our sponsors when we come back. More of our Mike Keys of the game of Super Bowl 58. Welcome back to the NC Show. I'm Mike in the house. It is our Super Bowl 58 preview show with the big man. Let's turn our attention next, Iron Mike, to one of my favorite subjects in football, as you well know, and as the gang at home know as well, the position that doesn't ever get enough love, quite frankly, and it and it breaks my heart. But maybe now we're going to address the balance <laughs> a little bit because it's time to talk kickers, Iron Mike. I love the fact that you have kickers down as one of your keys to the game. Harrison Butker versus Jake Moody. Discuss. I mean, Harrison Butker, Dick Butkus, <laughs> Harrison Dick <laughs> Butker, no relation. Is is basically a proven commodity. He was in my top ten in the cock up ratings. Uh, he seems to deliver in the clutch most of the time, you know. And Jake Moody, who's a rookie, was in the bottom five of the cock up ratings. Yeah, he missed a kick in the, you know. And it's unfair in a sense because no kicks are automatic. But when you're a rookie and it's your first time out there, you know, you can't expect. So I think if this game and, and it's a two and a half point spread at the moment, yeah, uh, with the Niners giving two and a half points, which kind of surprises me. Me but, too. You know, I, I think. I think people are looking at the Niners playing the way they played 
for most of the season, apart from that three game losing streak where they didn't have Trent Williams, they didn't have Debo. Um, you know, I think they're looking for them to be a fully functioning machine again. Mm. Uh, and I don't think Kansas City was probably getting enough credit for that turnaround in, in December. They remind me of the Giants in those years when, you know, 2007, 2011, when the yeah. Giants were not that good a team, you know, in terms of regular season performance and all. But what would you say? Hit their stride at exactly yeah. the right time. You know, they and, got the big mo in Mike in the playoffs, but they did it. Yeah, and of and course they. You know, the Chiefs situational have, coaching as well. Strong, yeah. And of course, those Giants teams had Eli Manning, who rose to the occasion twice. You know, in the playoffs, and everybody wants him in the Hall of Fame. And the Chiefs I have do. Patrick Mahomes, who's you know slightly He's better right. overall okay. than Eli, Eli Manning is. He's and, had a couple of good and games. The question is, will he rise to this occasion? And well, that, he likes the big occasion, doesn't he? Most of the time, he does. On the, well, the kickers—that's uh, the point because it could well, as we've seen, gone so many times. It could come down to to them. And the numbers is, to support your point, uh, Mike, bang on. Butker's nine out of nine in the postseason from forty to fifty yards, forty to forty-nine yards. Yeah, that that range, which. Um, you expect a kicker at that level to nail, but mm, doesn't work that way. Moody's five of nine from that range in, right. in the postseason. How do you think it, that it, will change Shanahan's well, it takes it, it takes away some of your options if yeah. you wanted to. Um, so that if you're if you're down at say the thirty-eight yard line, right? So you're talking about well, then that's a fifty-five yard kick. So say you're down at the the thirty-yard line and you've got a fourth and short. Yeah. It, that's going to be a 47 yard kick. Yeah. You know, is, it, is it going to be automatic? Um, but this gets intriguing to your point with Shanahan as the, the Falcons coordinator, of course, the, that whole phase of the game when he rolled the they'd hit Julio Jones, hadn't they? And he rolled the dice again. Ryan took the coverage sack and they were out of field goal range. And this is haunting him. He might be in a situation again where he thinks I probably should take the field goal, but it's Jake Moody. Shit. <laughs> and then he gambles on fourth down and the same kind of thing might happen again. Yeah, it's good. And, it, you know, I'm looking forward to the fourth and short gambles because mm -hmm. it'll, you know, it'll be fascinating on either side of the ball. It, it yeah. always is to see what your go to plays are, you know, and it's if you've got the dominant offensive line, your go to play becomes a lot easier than if you're going to have to finesse them one mm -hmm. way or the other, you know, and, mm -hmm. and get it. Um, well, Mike, here's a question just to bring a few of your thoughts together with this new more conservative can we call it chiefs offense different offense anyway and obviously much less of the wham bam thank you bam deep threat that we we've seen in the past does that mean that their opposition and shanahan in this case will feel less inclined to go for broke and actually play conservatively himself and take the points because the offense he's playing against is less dangerous than one of the one of four or five years ago. In other words, back in the day, you think, well, they're just going to slow blaze right up the field and punch it in in <laughs> three minutes. Now it's a different kind of Chiefs offense. So do you think he might be more conservative in his calls there? It that that's possible. I mean, uh, Andy going for it on short yardage. You know, you you need you need to double Travis Kelsey. Um, and you need to stop the possible run, you know, and and then I think option three is probably a Mahomes bootleg. Yeah. And Andy has never been afraid to 
call on secondary receivers of limited skills. And back in the Eagles, and his Eagles years, that's all he ever had. Uh, that's not what I meant, though. What I meant is because this Chiefs offense isn't as electrifying as it has been back in the day, and you're playing against an offense that it, you're you're thinking they're less. Look, uh, five years ago, you're, you're thinking, not in a shoot. Yeah, you're not yeah, going to be not in, a shootout. in a shootout. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All points are going to be precious. I think so, you're absolutely right. I think that's probably the mindset that both coaches are in. This game's not going to be a, a run and shoot kind of contest. Um, yeah. And, you know, you can just see Andy, the evil sorcerer, sitting there <laughs> and look <laughs> yeah. at him call, calling these plays for Kadarius Tony and McCall Hardy. What did I tell you? This is why, my Mike, this is why. It's kind of like, it. it's kind of like you're going to hear the smashing glass, you know, and all of a sudden <laughs> Andy Reid's going to pull off his, his, his red tent that he's wearing, you know, and, and they say, oh my God, that's the old Andy Reid. <laughs> it's Andy Reid's music. Yeah, they'll, they'll break out some old playbook that's been cryogenically frozen. Like the stuff that Han Solo got frozen in at the end of Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> and he's got a playbook that he's going to melt and bring out for this one, which will be dialing up 74 yards to Kadarius Tony. Okay, um, so watch the kickers and Moody, of course, who, who the 49ers drafted. Precisely yeah. for situations like this, you'd think. Well, at least um, they didn't trade up to draft him like the Patriots <laughs> did for Ryland, who was, even, who was even worse than Moody. Much Let, worse. Let's talk. Uh, you mentioned Kelsey. Let, let's talk Travis Kelsey next because he's had a, an extraordinarily successful postseason, particularly when you think about how he was playing in the regular season and all the hot takers were, well, Kelsey's a, a pale shadow of his former self. Well, he's had the last laugh. Can he keep it going? in the Super Bowl or will this 49ers defense pose altogether different problems? For it's a really good, him? it's a really key point because Greenlaw in particular is one of the best cover linebackers in the league. Um, and they've got it. I, I'm not sure who's going to play safety in the, but I'm assuming um, I'm assuming that Jair Brown probably starts, but Gibson, the other, the other mm -hmm. safety, if it's not Ryan, uh, what's his name um, from the Patriots in the way. Um, you know, we'll both be able to cover. We'll both be able to cover it. I wouldn't be surprised to see Kelsey doubled a lot and Rice given single coverage by their best corner. Right. And then, then they kind of, okay, if 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 Kadarius Tony is going to beat us or, you know, then we deserve to be beaten um, kind of philosophy. Mm. Um, I think that's probably, probably what they will do. I mean, I don't see how you can afford to leave Kelsey, mm. um, you know, alone and, and and you can't really play soft zones because he he's so good at finding the space in the zone and and the thing with them is he finds the space because Mahomes moves in the pocket to make the time for him to find the space mm. you know and he knows if if Kelsey's there and there's two defenders and Kelsey's moving behind them Mahomes instinctively knows which side of of him to put the ball on whereas you know the touchdown catch that he made when he was completely blanketed by Hamilton. Yeah. Um, against the Ravens was was a perfect illustration of that. Mahomes has such a great vision of where that ball's got to go. He sees Kelsey. Most quarterbacks would see him and never throw the ball. He ain't open. He, mm. but Hamilton's Hamilton hanging as up, well. Yeah, exactly. Hamilton's hanging it's off. Like of him, you know? Hamilton. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like, but 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 Mahomes sees it and sees that the area down low to his right is where the ball can go because Hamilton's on his left and. Yeah, Kelsey that precise. Get his arms free. Great point. And that's exactly what happened. But that's there's very few quarterbacks who can actually do that. Um, it is a great point. And the the Kelsey factor is intriguing. As you're breaking that down, it gives me even more faith 
Kadarius Tony is going to go off. The, <laughs> just looking at some of the Kelsey numbers here in in context of the um of the Chiefs' offense. I mean, th- this brilliant postseason he's having. Now, nineteen touchdowns, second only to the great Jerry Rice, of course, in terms of total uh, total touchdowns in the postseason, nineteen to twenty two. Uh, 156 is the new record for he beat Jerry Rice for, for career playoff reception. So he is a, he is a lock and a future Hall of Famer. And, and when you think about these, if we are calling the Chiefs a dynasty in the Sandy Reid era, they have had back in the day with Tyreek Hill, even Sammy Watkins, these explosive players that that they don't have anymore. And I was looking at the numbers as you were talking about that earlier in this karma Chiefs offense. Where do you think, Mike, they rank in explosive pass rate this season, the Chiefs? Explosive pass rate out of 32 teams. 27th. 24th. And I mean, if we'd had this conversation three years ago. You wouldn't, it wouldn't be unthinkable. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, and I think yeah. what happened was Andy realized that and then said, okay, we're going to be a position. We have to be a ball control team. Yeah. Because we're not, we don't have those explosive plays and there's no way to create them. You know, the receivers aren't good enough. Uh, yeah. You know, if they'd hung on to more balls, they would have been higher up. <laughs> sure, that's a um, fair point. And you know, and for years, Kelsey was already a lock for the Hall of Fame with these thousand-yard seasons. You know, stacked yeah. up in a row. Yeah. Um, but for years, Kelsey had benefited from having Tyreek Hill and having that downfield. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, right. You know, you had to double Tyreek Hill. That that leaves Kelsey man covered or what. Or, or zone covered, and either way, he beat he beat you up. It's kind of like Gronk on the on the Patriots, you know. It, it's and then now Kelsey's literally their first option, and that yep. makes life much harder for a tight end because you have to yep. fight to get you know to get off the line of scrimmage. You have to do your blocking as well, you know. Yep. And it, it's he looks like Gronk, like old Gronk, where you know mm-hmm. last couple of years where Gronk would sort of take a hop step to get into stride, you know. <laughs> yeah, Kelsey sure. Looks, he almost looked like he was walking down the field at times, but he was still getting open. It was amazing. Still taking care of it. Like uh, latter era Ric Flair, still with the chops, still going. <laughs> and Ric Flair going didn't have Taylor Swift. Yeah. Well, uh, as far as we know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's, wrap, let, let's wrap with, it was the late edition, but maybe <laughs> the most important of all, uh, the quarterback battle. So we know... Yeah. Obviously, this is that this is the Nat Coombs show, the only podcast in the civilized football world world that gets to the quarterbacks last. I love it. There we go. That's that. I thought that put a smile on your face, but we've got to we've got to get to them. And we know what Mahomes is capable of in, in this situation, of course. We don't know what Purdy's capable of in this situation. And actually, the the game manager narrative that everybody's talked to death, maybe the the championship game has changed that up a little bit. Maybe there's there's more to Purdy's game than it, it's hard to it's hard to tell, and you and you never can tell how calm the first timer is going to be. Yeah, in in that situation, but I mean, with Brock Purdy, it's like they come from behind to win the conference game, and it's like, well, Purdy was awful in the first half; they were behind, mm. you know. And in most quarterbacks, it would be what a great comeback he led. You know, yeah, he's, sure. he's a surefire Hall of Famer. Um, <laughs> sure. You know, and the, the truth obviously is somewhere in the vast middle between those two statements. But yeah. you know, they, as I said earlier, they fell behind in both of the playoff games, and Purdy both times led them, um, led them to a victory by playing really well. I mean, by putting the passes on target when he had to, 
he made some tremendous throws in those, the, the one to Johnson over the middle, mm. um, the one to um, um, Conley, you know, over his shoulder, you know, and, this, and you know, it was kind of like the Chiefs. You know? <laughs> doesn't he, doesn't Conley play for the Chiefs? What's he, what's he doing? <laughs> was that different Conley, you know? Um, what's he doing? What's he doing playing for San Francisco? Mm. Um, so, you know, we know what Mahomes can do. We know he's done it in these situations. The, you know, when he didn't do it, he either, um, what would you say, didn't have time to, um, or in in the case of the game against Tampa, really was a great defensive performance based on the fact that they were facing two backup tackles. Yeah. Now, my sentimental hope here is, as you know, the first Super Bowl between these two teams, I thought that the 49ers were jobbed mm-hmm. in, a num- in a number of ways. And Mahomes' biggest play in that game was a 40-yard bloop. <laughs> mm. <laughs> they went about 100 yards up in the air and, and came down <laughs> to wide open Tyreek Hill. My kind of throw, yeah. But, you know, but between there was, there were like, there was an uncalled concussion hit on Jimmy Garoppolo, which I don't have any doubt was a concussion. Mm. There was the, the possible field goal if they had allowed the um, George Kittle catch just before halftime and they called mm. offensive interference on him. Um, there was Carl Aftis going offside. There were, there were a couple, you know, questionable calls, I thought. Mm. Um, so I kind of sentimentally think that, that the, the Niners will be able to rally and that Purdy will be able to perform better than Jimmy G who didn't perform badly in that game until, you know, the Sanders overthrow, yeah. Was it him and yeah, Emmanuel Sanders that yeah just couldn't quite mm. get in. That was post concussion. Sure. Um, so I think um I think it's really hard in that sense to predict what Purdy will do. Mm. And to be honest, when you're making the call on the game, it a lot of it does depend on what Purdy can do. You know, and if they get if, as I suspect, Spags comes up with another really good Super Bowl game plan that takes the Niners out of their basic offense, that's going to be very difficult for Purdy because if if they're not running the play action, if they're not moving the pocket, he's going to send people after Purdy, you know, mm-hmm. like there's no tomorrow, mm-hmm. you know, and Purdy's going to have to be very, very good. It's going to be a real test for him. And, you know, in those circumstances, giving two and a half points – I, I'm. I want to take the Niners. Um, I would like them more if they were underdogs, and I thought they would be underdogs. But my mm-hmm. mind, the mindset that says they'll be underdogs is is the one that says I find it harder to pick them to win. Maybe by Wednesday, when I have to make a pick for sure, um, I'll I'll um, I'll change my mind on that. But mm-hmm. you know, it, I, this is also a game where I wouldn't. Forty-seven-five is pretty well weighted. If it was almost any higher than that, I would go. I would show you taking the under. Yeah, I like the under. I like the under. Well, Propo and I are going to edge rush it up uh, from Vegas, of course, uh, at the end of this week. So I've got a bit more time to to, to I'm flip flopping as well. And if you like the Chiefs to win, Kelsey at twelve to one is the MVP. MVP. Not bad odds. Good second option behind. Kadarius Tony for your Super Bowl MVP. <laughs> I am, I am getting. Yeah, I mean, with the Super Bowl, you always have to assume the winning quarterback is going. You know, will get the MVP nine times out of ten. Yeah, this is this is the exception to the rule. But yeah, that is that is the smart play. Um, as is the yeah the over under on 
uh, on the Star Spangled Banner, Reba McIntyre. That's oh, Reba's um, doing. Reba's oh, doing. Wow. Yeah, what are you thinking? I've loved Reba ever ever since um, um, Tremors. Reba McIntyre was a, is a singer, but she acted. She's acted she's a bit. Tremors on TV. is that Ke- Kevin Bacon? Those, Kevin Bacon and Kevin Bacon yeah. and Fred Ward. Those those oh, Fred Ward, yeah. Those big worms under the earth that are attacking. Reba McIntyre plays the wife mm. of the survivalist. They have their their house, and the the worms attack the house, and and the husband just, right. they pick the wrong rec room this time. Oh God! I'm going to go back and revisit the great '80s. Oh, it's uh, worth it. It's absolutely blockbuster. There's Trevor. Speaking of '80s blockbusters, a nice way to wrap up today's show by Mike raising a glass to one of our favorites. I mean, certainly everybody's everybody's yeah, I mean, favorite. Have you ever met anyone that that didn't love Carl Weathers' Apollo Creed in particular, his stand-up performance? But I'm sure Iron Mike being Oh, hang on. Was he was he predator? No, commander or predator? Commander. Whichever it is, whatever. Whichever. 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 I've been talking for too long. There was a great, um, great story I saw. Somebody posted that um, Weathers gave. Uh, it was giving. It was a summer award ceremony, and it was giving a. He was being honored, I think, and giving a speech, talking about how he got the gig. And of course, he was a uh, a former footballer. And Mike, I'm sure you'll break break that down in more detail for us. And uh, was trying his hand at acting, and heard that uh, the movie um, casting for Rocky. Um, they hadn't found the guy, right? He'd heard on the street and he was just struggling actor trying to find a break. And they had an open call for it. They had Friday afternoon, five o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, and it was an open call, a cattle call, as he said, that everybody, every last chancer in town was there. And he figured, look, if I've got to give this everything, if I'm going to, if I'm going to get this gig. So he went in pretty fired up and did the read with the casting the director casting directors all sitting there behind the table usual thing and this other guy reading reading the lines for rocky and so he he said he went in big he gave it his everything and at the end of it he felt the reaction was a bit nonplussed and he thought god have i blown it and i this is i'm probably going to walk away from hollywood if i don't get this gig so (laughs) in full apollo mode he said to them, you know what? I would have done it better. It would have been better if that guy could act a little bit, pointing to the other guy that was, <laughs> that was doing the Rocky lights. I mean, the whole the whole thing was off because that guy just wasn't doing it. <laughs> Everyone started laughing and he was thinking, oh God, now I've completely blown They're laughing at me now. And the other guy, of course, was Stallone. He had realized that Stallone as the writer of Rocky. <laughs> and he won the gig because he went full on Apollo on Stallone and started mouthing <laughs> off. What a, it was a great story. And I yeah, mean, appara- I, yeah. apparently when he was playing for Oakland, and he only played, I guess, it's like half of one season and, and a game in another. But uh, when Madden was the coach, he mm. he was only two hundred pound linebacker. He was a backer, wasn't um, he? Yeah, yeah. And uh, but they were playing. I I guess it must have been San Francisco at that point. And OJ before the game, he went up to OJ Simpson to find out if he could put a word in for him who his agent was or something like <laughs> that. It. And OJ did. OJ after the game gave him his number and stuff like that, and gave him gave him some help with with his career. But um, great. You know, I, I think the best trip I watched a couple of times and a lot of people were putting it up, uh, the entrance in Rocky Four when he comes in to oh. fight Ivan Drago and James Brown is doing Living, Living in America. I just thought I'd do, do the lyrics for Living in America, the first verse, which is, yeah, uh, get up, ow, <laughs> like ow. In the room. knock it out, this, 
<laughs> it's a lot better when James Brown does it. A little bit better, a little marginally better. But hey, that's another idea for our karaoke on Mike next time we're uh, we're up on stage together. That was a great soundtrack. The Rocky Four soundtrack, I think, was one of the first albums I ever had. Um, yeah, and I hadn't realized that a James Brown didn't write that song, and b it was written for the soundtrack for the movie. Yeah, for that that was uh, yeah. that was a hell of a hell of a track on there, and it had also I think revisit the the soundtrack for the montage uh, when Rocky's training in in Russia when he's the chopping wood training montage that right. is that is electronica eighties electronica at its best um, keep, keep chopping wood. The, the guys who are the former football outsiders guys did produce this year's keep chopping wood team. Oh, did they? They, they kept and going. Guess who the guess who the quarterback was? Um, hmm. And if, for those who don't know the story, this is when Jack Del Rio was coaching in Jacksonville, and he wanted the team to work harder and give everything. So he put a block of wood and an axe in the locker room and told them they had to keep chopping wood. And and um, the the punter on the team who was. Um, Hansen, uh, Jeff Hanson, no, Jeff Hansen. Um, he had kicked in the NFL Europe before, but but he got up and and hit the thing, and the axe bounced off the wood and cut his foot. <laughs> he didn't punt that season. So who's is it? Deshaun Watson? Is he the? Was he the? Oh no! They, so the, the the keep chopping woods award are given to the people who basically contributed least or or were the biggest drags on their yeah, team. So is that Deshaun Watson? Aaron Rodgers. Oh, Rodgers. Oh, that's harsh, but fair. Given uh, <laughs> given Rodgers's uh, pathetic takedown of uh, of Kimmel, um, I uh, I, like I love the stories that came out this week about how he how Zach Wilson thought he and Aaron would be best buds, <laughs> and then as soon as Rodgers <laughs> he, he met him, it was like he never talked to him again. That's <laughs> <laughs> a surprise. I like Zach Wilson that little bit more hearing hearing that story. Not as much as Carl Weathers. The great Carl Weathers. The great raising, Carl Weathers. Raising, Absolutely. Raising, really, really. Wobbly. Ain't gonna be no. Ain't gonna be no rematch. Ain't gonna be no rematch. Oh, Stallion. <laughs> I think I I once had a review where somebody. Re- to me in standard basis, the poor man's Apollo Creed, which I still take as one of the nicest things anyone ever, I would take, has ever said I would about take that. I yeah. would take that in a minute. Any day I'll bet you week. walk, I'll bet you used to walk around college with a uh Union Jack hat, yeah, <laughs> top hat <laughs> and tails. The Union Jack, my Union, you. Jack, Union Jack, nods to uh to Apollo and Rocky Four. I would, I might go and watch Rocky Four now. I'm definitely gonna listen to the soundtrack. I am Mike, brilliant stuff at Carlson Sports is how you follow the big man on Twitter, of course. The stylings of profilings. We got to work out how we're going to do our post Super Bowl show because I'm going to be in some kind of jet lag funk. So we'll have to probably do it midweek next week. I think if that works for you, whatever whatever works. Um, consulting my my diary uh, hmm. reveals. Uh, oh well, Wednesday St. Valentine's Day. We probably oh. can't do it on that. People would start talking. People would uh, people would let them talk on Mike. <laughs> let them talk. We'll work it out. We'll uh, we'll be in touch on WhatsApp and get that sorted. I'm Mike. Brilliant stuff. Look after yourself. Enjoy the big game, bud. Oh, it'll be a great one. Can't wait. Let's go. Let's do it. Brilliant stuff from the legendary Iron Mike. Uh, We'll be back next week with him. If I make it back in one piece from Vegas, we'll do our Super Bowl review show with Iron Mike midweek next week. So make sure you keep your eyes peeled for that one. We're going to drop Edge Rush with me and Ben Propo Friday. So lock and load for that as well. And uh, we're heading out soon enough so we'll be dropping 
lots and lots of social media content when we're out in Vegas at the NC Show. Follow us on all the usual channels. Lots on YouTube as well. Big shout out to all our YouTube subscribers. If you haven't started following us there, make sure you do. Not least because we've got a lot of plans for the off-season coming your way for the pod, for YouTube. So keep it locked in. We appreciate your support. We'll see you at the Edge Rush on Friday. Bye for now. Podcast Network.